What's up, everybody? How you feeling? Okay. Normally, if I say how you guys feeling, you just go, People gave a legit answer. It was like, good, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling, doing well. That means we're getting closer. You guys are having a conversation with me, even as I'm up here. You trust me? Thank you. I appreciate that. Man, yeah. How are you guys liking the weather outside? Man, I was caught so off guard by this cold weather. Yesterday, I looked at my weather app before coming outside, and it said 37 degrees. I was like, that is rather frigid. But, you know, whatever. Because it had just been warm, so for some reason in my brain, I was thinking it was going to still be like a warmer version of 37. And then I walk outside, and I'm like, oh, you for real? Like, cold, cold. Like, it's still winter. We not playing. Atlanta's like, I can change my mind all the way. And if I'm cold, I'm going to be all the way cold, all the way real, and just attack you aggressively when you walk outside. But God is good. Amen. Amen. See? We're in a church. I say God is good. Amen. (laughs) There we go. It's good stuff. Have you guys been enjoying our series, The Thirst is Real? Yeah, because the thirst really is real. If you have not been with us the past few weeks, we've been talking about thirst. And you might not know what we mean when we say that, because I know there are a lot of cultural implications with that term, the thirst being real. A lot of times that may be applied to um, romantic pursuits. But what we're talking about is this thirst that we have on the inside of our souls, a desire that we have, a, a strong desire. That's one of the definitions of thirst is a strong desire or a lack of the liquid needed to sustain life. And we've been talking these past few weeks about all the scriptures and all the different ways that God compares himself to water. He's the river that we need, that we need to put our roots into and drink from like a tree does. He's also the rain. He sends rain on our dry lives. And last week, we we talked about a message. It was called, You're Just Thirsty. And I was talking about dehydration at first. I was talking about, see, my man Kevin, he was like, I got the water today. (laughs) I was talking about being back in the gym and how the first thing that I change when I get back into the gym is the amount of water that I'm drinking because our bodies are made of 70% water. 90% of human and animal cells are made of water. Yet, I asked this question last week, and I just wanna see if it changes at all. How many of you guys feel like you drink an adequate amount of water? Still not even half the room. Not even half of you, and you guys are all human beings, and water is the most essential thing to your life. And yet, you would say, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't even like water. <laughs> but it's necessary for you. And one of the symptoms of dehydration, surprisingly, is not thirst. One of the symptoms of dehydration is actually hunger. And so that's what we talked about last week, how your 
body will be thirsty. It will need water. But, you know, I talked about it last week. The hypothalamus in the brain regulates hunger and thirst and sometimes will miscommunicate the need to you and tell you that you're thirsty, tell you that you're hungry when in fact you're thirsty. And this happens so many times in our, in our lives, even in our spiritual lives, that we have this deep need on the inside of us that can only be satisfied one way. God compares himself to water. We can only be satisfied by God, and yet so many times we experience cravings for other things. And we try to satisfy this need that we have on the inside of us in other ways. And so what we talked about last week was identity. We were talking about, I said there are two things that your spirit is desperately thirsty for. And the first is God-given identity. Because there are a lot of identities that you can have, but only one is true. And it's your God-given identity. And we explored the woman at the well, this Samaritan woman who had this encounter with Jesus where she was finding her identity in these physical things, her racial ethnicity, her religion, and was so blinded by what she thought her identity was that she couldn't even recognize the savior of the world. She couldn't recognize God in the flesh standing in front of her having a conversation with her. She actually tried to stop the conversation when he struck it up. She was so blinded by it. We all have a desperate need on the inside of us for a connection with God. Tonight, we're talking about the second need that we have, and we're going to be talking about our need for God's love. You are desperately, desperately, desperately thirsty for the love of God, and the desire for that manifests in a lot of different ways, but there's only one way to solve it. You need the love of God to sustain you. Just like you need water to sustain you physically, you need the love of God to sustain you in this life. There is no other sustenance that will truly sustain you and truly bring you life. So you guys want to talk about the love of God tonight? Y'all didn't sound all that excited about it. Do you want to talk about the love of God tonight? There we go, because God is good. And all the time, there we go. Give me hype. All right, so I just want to pray us in. Father, we thank you that you're so good. We thank you for your love. We thank you that you sent people here tonight just to hear this message from you, that you sent this message. I didn't come up with this and craft this on my own, God. You sent this message. Do you want to speak to your people? There's a desperate need that we have on the inside of us that you want to explain to us, that you want to meet. So, Lord, we thank you for it. We ask that you would just open every heart tonight. We thank you for you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So, I want to talk about a few things tonight. I want to talk about what you need to know about God's love. And the first point I'm going to just jump right into it. Is that okay? The first point is that the love of God is woven into the fabric of your being. It's quite poetic, isn't it? 
It's true though. The love of God is woven into the fabric of your being. You can't be separated from it. You need it to sustain you. You're like, okay, that sounds good, but where is it in the Bible? Genesis 2-7 says, Then the Lord God formed a man. We're going back to the very, 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 very beginning. When's the last time y'all read Genesis? You're like, eh, it's been a little while. Okay, it hasn't been too long. Okay. Genesis means beginning. If you want to understand where you're at, you have to understand the beginning. If you want to understand what's going on now, you have to go back to the beginning. That's where you can truly come to understand these essential things that we need. So in Genesis, we're looking at the creation story. I just want to share with you guys just even how this came to life. I was thinking about this message, praying about this message, and God just started throwing these scriptures at me, and I was actually planning on going back to the woman in the well because we didn't even dive all the way into that story. There was plenty more there about her need for love. And so as I was thinking about it, God just kept talking to me about Eve. And I'm like, Eve? We talking about the woman at the well, God? We didn't even get all the way into that. And he's just throwing these scriptures at me, and it's funny they were in just this random order. As they were coming to me, I was just writing them down, putting them in my notes. Uh, I do most of my sermon prep in a Google Doc so that I can just edit it anywhere when something comes to my mind. I can type it on the computer. If I'm in the gym and something comes to me, I can add it on my phone. And so these scriptures are coming to me. And then as I was praying about the message, he's like, just put it in chronological order and you'll understand this need for love and you'll understand something that you didn't understand about my love before. And so I just wanted to let you guys in on even how that came. So we're looking at the story of humanity here from the beginning up until the most important part. So in Genesis 2-7, it says, the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. So what was fascinating about this to me was the part that I think about a lot is God formed us from the dust of the ground. He formed us, shaped us. We came from the earth. But it was just a limp, lifeless body until God breathed into it. It says that God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And then the man became a living being. That's fascinating. The body could not be alive without God breathing into it. But how many times throughout life do we just not pay attention to what's really going on? So many of us might view our body as just a body. And so people talk, there's all types of discussions about what to do with the human body, what boundaries to place on the human body. But the word of God talks about what to do with our lives because we're not just a body. God breathed into us in order for us to be alive. You cannot be alive right now without the spirit that God breathed into you. 
He breathed his spirit into you for you to be alive. That's what's keeping you alive right now. And God is love. So I want to talk about it through that context tonight. But it's so important for us to understand this piece for the context of what we're talking about and understanding what our basic needs are. So I want you guys to write this point down because this is really important. You are empty and lifeless without the breath of God. And that goes for everything in your life. It's empty and it's lifeless without the breath of God, without the spirit of God. Psychology actually says all of us have an intense desire to be loved and nurtured. The need to be loved could be considered one of our most basic and fundamental needs. And that's what psychologists say. Our need to be loved is one of the most fundamental things to our existence, and this is coming from people whether they believe in God or not. Even atheist scientists will agree that humans need to be loved, but why would a body need love? Why would something formed out of the dirt need love? We need it because God breathes his spirit into us and our spirit yearns to be connected to him. He breathes himself into us. And so when we do not have proper relationship with him, we cannot function. We look for this need to be met so many places, that's where the world goes wrong because they all agree that we need love. Now what's been miscommunicated is where to find it. Oh man, they'll tell you all day where to go looking. You do this, you can get this. You be this way, you can get this. Speaking to that thirst on the inside of you, but communicating to you a craving for something that can't satisfy it. Notice that they didn't say, we have an intense desire to give love. I thought that was fascinating too. It actually says all of us have an intense desire to be loved and nurtured. So you don't have a super intense desire to give love. You have an intense desire to receive love. And that's why you can walk around with an insatiable, unsatisfiable void in your life if you're looking for that need to be met in the wrong place. You will never escape your need for the love of God. It is woven into the fabric of your being. You cannot separate your body from your spirit. You cannot separate what God formed from the dust and what he breathed into you. But they both have needs. And when people are communicating to you that it's just the dirt that has needs, you will be misled for your entire life because it's that breath inside of you that has needs. It's that breath inside of you that came from a source. And so some of the cravings that you're experiencing are decoys. And in reality, you're just thirsty. 
part two. Now, throughout history, people who do not know God have tried to understand and communicate the need for God's love as a need for something tangible. And this is what you see all the time. And we chase it. And a lot of times we don't even realize that that's what we're going after. We just think we're going after something. But we don't even understand what's driving us to it. Because everybody else is chasing after these things and it just seems normal. But the world experiences, everybody in the world, everybody that exists experiences this deep thirst in their spirit to be connected to the person who breathed life into them. That spirit yearns for its source. It came from God and wants to be connected to God. But the world is just telling you, hey, it's a craving for a relationship. It's a craving for a boyfriend. It's a craving for a girlfriend. It's a craving for sex. It's a craving for drugs. It's a craving for more food. It's a craving for something that can't satisfy the need. And what's more dangerous is that the world understands that love completes you. This is dangerous. This is dangerous because we live in a society that agrees with the fact that love completes you, but they point you to the wrong love. Love does complete you, but it's the love of God that completes you. How many of you guys have experienced a love from a human being that did not complete you? Everybody. <laughs> she raised two hands. <laughs> said <laughs> because they can't complete you they can't it's impossible they didn't breathe life into you they had life breathed into them and they have an intense desire to receive love not to give it to give love is a command from God. What's natural to us is to desire to receive it. And it is out of receiving love from God where we become so full that we can give it. But when you're dealing with people who have not been filled up by God, they have nothing to give you. They can have the best intentions in the world. It doesn't mean that they're trying to do you wrong, but they can't complete you. So you're wrong for having that expectation of them. Facts. And they're wrong for trying. You're wrong if you think that you can complete another person. If you think that you have so much love inside of you that you can fulfill another human being, you're deceived. None of y'all are that amazing. But it's good news. It's good news. Because God can complete you. God is the only one 
who can complete you. And that's what you need to know about God's love, is God's love is the only love that can complete you. This is God is love. God is love. God doesn't just like love. God doesn't just love well. God is love. So when he breathed into you, he breathed love into you. And that's why you desire it. It's natural to you to desire that. Just like a baby desires milk, it's natural. And the mother is equipped to feed. But imagine if it was just, if men were trying to feed babies. And that's what y'all look like. (laughs) When you're in a relationship without God. You look crazy. (laughs) And that's what you look like when you're trying to receive from somebody who can't complete you. You look like a baby reaching for the dead. Like, nah, bruh, wrong source. (laughs) Yeah, it's an interesting visual. But (laughs) But only God can complete you. Only he has the capacity to give you what you need. Only God's love has the depth that you desire. Everybody wants to be loved and nurtured in a deep way. Only God's love has the depth you're looking for. Your friends, your mate. Mate is such a weird word. Sorry. (laughs) Your spouse or soon-to-be spouse or potential spouse. Partner, this seems so just cerebral. Just like we have this mental connection, you partner with me in life. You're soon to be spouse. And if you're dating somebody who isn't in one of those categories, potential soon to be, eh. If they're not a potential spouse, stop. So we're only going to talk about those people tonight. Everybody else, you can cut it off, let them go. We're not even going to go down that road tonight. But they don't have what it takes to complete you. They don't have the depth of the love that you're looking for. They don't have the consistency of love that you're looking for. I do not have the consistency to love Gabrielle in the way that God can. I'll be trying sometimes. But sometimes I forget stuff. Sometimes I just mess up. Because I'm not God. I can't be God. And if she's looking for the depth of the love of God in me, she's going to be super disappointed. Because the thirst on the inside of her It's for the depth of the love that God can give, for the consistency of the love that God can give. How many of you guys have come to the realization that God does not run out of love? He doesn't. But sometimes I feel exhausted. Sometimes I'm tapped out. And I just don't feel like I have the capacity to love sometimes in the way that I want to just because I get tired. But God doesn't even sleep. He doesn't get tired. He doesn't run out of love. He can be as consistent 
as you need him to be. But people cannot. Only God's love has the passion that your spirit desires. A love so passionate that he lay his life down for you. Everybody wants that. Not everybody can give you that. Because people desire to receive love. And they want somebody who's going to lay their life down for them. It's hard for us to want to lay our life down for somebody else. Sometimes that's a lifelong process that we're working through. Trying to give. But when you're receiving that type of love from Jesus, the person you're with, it's all supplemental. And so it's all addition. So it's an overflow. If this thing is all the way full, and then somebody comes along with their little bit of water, and they're pouring in, it's still overflowing. But if it's empty, and I'm looking for somebody who only has this much to give, and they pour it in, and I'm like, I'm not full. I'm the problem. Because God is the endless source of everything that you need. God breathes his spirit into you and wove the desire for him throughout your entire being. But when you have listened to a lie, when you've listened to miscommunicated cravings and you're searching for it in other sources, you'll never be filled and you'll be walking around empty asking people to pour their one ounce of love into you and then mad that you're not full. But if you are full of the love of God, then somebody's one ounce will be an overflow for you. So how do we learn about God's love? Because it's, it's, it's great to need it, it's great to want it, but then how do you get it is the question. Well, I thought that it was interesting that uh, in looking at God breathing into Adam. We also see another scripture about God's breath. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is God-breathed. Y'all seeing the, the consistency? See the parallels? God breathed into Adam, and God breathed into scripture. Means God put some water in Adam and the need for it, and he put some water in his word. You need the word of God. That's why he gave it to you. He didn't do it haphazardly. He didn't have the Bible written for fun as a collection of his greatest works. God's greatest hits. Check it out if you want to. It is necessary for your life. But just like the water you don't drink, his word cannot bring you sustenance if you don't consume it. But you need it. It's not just a good idea, it's not just a suggestion. 
Some of you guys try to get filled up by people and try to put in one ounce of the word. And I've been there before, trying to be filled up by people, by people's affirmations, by people's encouragement, by people's love. And then you go and open up the little Bible app. Oh, verse of the day, one ounce, boom. God so loved the world. Mm, God's good. Let me go call my girl. And then you're upset with the people around you. Y'all don't affirm me. You don't encourage me. Y'all don't speak life into me. When God has 66 books of life. To speak into you. And yet many of us neglect it like we neglect water daily. Is that landing? I mean, this is what you need in life. How many, how many of you guys have just said, like, I don't like the way water tastes? I don't like it. I need something else. Doesn't change the fact that you need it. It's not negotiable. It's not like you could be like, okay, uh, it's not like a Coke machine with all these different variations. I'm like, okay, what do I want to sustain me in life? Hmm, Fanta, hmm, the berry blend, okay. <laughs> you don't have an option. You, you know that little blue dot that just says water? <laughs> That's always the answer. But many of us are running into that situation in life every day where we go up to this Coke machine and we see the blue dot of water. We walk by a Bible on our dresser and we're like, mm, I think I want Fanta. <laughs> Are you doing that in your life? Are you seeing the blue dot of water and thinking, mm, that looks boring? And the world's offering you all these varieties. Pepsi, Coke, Diet Pepsi, Cherry Coke, Vanilla Coke. There's a whole Coke factory of Coke flavors from different countries. And this is what we experience in the world. You can satisfy your cravings for love in so many different ways from so many different people. Choose your truth, choose your love, choose who you wanna be with, many people, one person, do what you want. Have two wives, three wives. This is what we see in our world. But the truth never changes. The truth is that God is the only one who can sustain you. God is the only one with the love that you need. He's the only one with the love deep enough, the only one with the love consistent enough, the only one with the love passionate enough to give you what your spirit is thirsting for. And so where the word of God is not present, dysfunction and death is inevitable. Where the word of God is not present, 
dysfunction and death is inevitable. Wherever the word of God is not applied, the love of God is not applied. Because you don't know the love of God if you don't know the word of God. He reveals himself in his word. You need me to go back? Okay, 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 okay. All right, I was about to go. Okay. All right, all right, okay. Where the word of God is not present, dysfunction and death is inevitable. And wherever the word of God is not applied, the love of God is not applied. And because the love of God is not applied, dysfunction and death is inevitable. It was God breathing into that body that brought it to life. Remember, it was just sitting there. It was dirt that had been formed very nicely, but it had no life without the breath of God. And if all scripture is God-breathed, you guys see where I'm going with this? If all scripture is God-breathed, then you need the word of God to come to life. If there is a dead area in your life, you need the word of God applied. If your marriage is dying, the word of God is where the love of God is found. It's where it's explained. It's where it's revealed. If it is not applied, you will find a lifeless, empty marriage. In your friendships, in your career, in your pursuit of purpose, where the word of God is not applied. Doesn't matter how many Instagram followers you attain, doesn't matter how much money you make, because that's once again like eating burgers when you're thirsty. You can have the best burger in the world. If you're thirsty, it does not satisfy the need. So if the reality is you're thirsty and you are in need of the love of God, explained and revealed through the word of God, when you listen to the world and the word of the world and the instructions of the world, you will find those areas of your life lifeless and empty and dead, even if it doesn't feel that way now. Whew. God spent time forming the man. Some of you guys are taking ingredients in your life and you're forming something. And you just haven't gotten to the point of where it's complete to see that it's dead without him. Some of you are building a career, putting it together, just like God put the heart, he put the lungs, he put the appendix, the femur. Somebody's a nurse in here. Hey. But God knew in putting it together, what would bring it to life is him breathing into it. Do not spend your life and spend your time constructing things on your own outside of the word of God because you will build something and form 
something only to find that it is empty and lifeless. You will construct a relationship only to find it is empty and lifeless without God breathing into it. If it does not align with the word of God, it will be lifeless and empty. You know what you have to do to speak? Breathe. God's word, what he spoke, is what he breathed. And it's necessary to bring anything to life. So you need that. Unfortunately, we do have an enemy. And I talk about the devil in our messages because, not because he's powerful, but because he's clever. And when you don't call out what he's doing, when, you, when you're not aware of his schemes, Paul says, we are not unaware of his devices. We are not unaware of his schemes. When you can expose it, when you're aware of it, you have power over it. Jesus has given you all power, all authority over anything that he can do. But if you're not aware of what he's doing, it's hard to have authority. It's hard to take authority over it. And so the devil's desire is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And the easiest way to do that is to cut off your source at a root level. So if he wants to kill something, he has to disconnect it from the source. God breathed into you. Your life comes from God. Your being, your existence, your sustenance comes from God. The thirst inside of you is real. You are thirsty for God. But what he'll do is miscommunicate to you and feed you lies about what you need. And in doing so, if you receive it, if you believe it, he will cut off your source. And so, I will present to you tonight that lies from the devil are the root of all disbelief in the love of God. Lies from the devil are the root of all disbelief in the love of God. I'm going to say that one more time. Lies from the devil are the root. When you peel back everything, they're the root of all disbelief in the love of God. In John 8, Jesus describes Satan this way. He's talking to some people who just refuse to believe in what Jesus is doing, even though it's plain to see. And he says, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. For there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. For he is a liar and the father of lies. So I want to go back to Genesis and I want to take a look tonight at the first lie ever recorded in Scripture. I should tell you something. First lie ever recorded in Scripture. Adam and Eve are out here living good. God 
forms this beautiful earth, this beautiful garden. He puts all this food. He puts the animals there, creates Adam to manage it, and then says, let me bring him somebody to help him. He brings him Eve. And, man, they have this paradise that God has given them. Walking around, God's like, man, I got you all these little bushes over here. These are called, well, you can call them what you want. And Adam is like, banana. (laughs) Pomegranate. I like that. Naming stuff. God gives them all this food. He said, everything that grows up out of the ground is food for you. Side note, how many of you guys actually enjoy fruit? Isn't it wonderful? Have you ever thought about the fact that grows up out the ground? Fruit, it tastes delicious. And it grows out of the dirt. Everything you need to survive just so happens to grow up out of the ground on the planet you live on. The water that you need to survive just so happens to cover the planet you live on. Not a coincidence. God created this for us. And he gives all this to Adam and Eve. And then we go to Genesis 3. It says, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Just starting up trouble. Have you ever experienced that, vo- that voice in your life? Everything's going fine. And then, does he really love you? Are your parents really proud of you? Does she really like you? And it's these questions that can start a domino effect in our lives. And we're going to see one. We're going to see the first time that happened. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die. So they're just in the middle of living great, and he comes in first and foremost with the misleading question. He knows God didn't say you can't eat any of the trees in the garden. He knows what God said. God said you can eat of every tree in the garden except for this one. Have you guys ever seen a forest? You ever seen how many trees can be in just the size of this room? Now, the Garden of Eden is described, and I mean, it has rivers rushing through it. You can't have a river. We think garden like your grandma's backyard garden. (laughs) 
You can't have a river rushing through your grandma's backyard and not four of them. I'm talking about a big old garden. I'm imagining much more like a big forest full of trees. And God said, you can have any of this. I made all this for you. God doesn't eat fruit. God didn't need them bananas. He made it for them, just for them. Created this for them, for them to have an amazing life. And they had no awareness of anything different than a great life until the devil steps in just to mess stuff up. That's literally the only objective here is to just mess everything up. And that's what he's trying to do in your life. Step into what God has created for you. Step into what God has given you. Step into the abundance that God has given you and just twist it and say, did God really say that you can't eat any of these any of this fruit? That's crazy. And she's like, no, he said that we could eat from any of the trees, except for that one. He said that if we eat from that one, we'll touch it and we'll die. So the one of probably hundreds, maybe thousands, maybe millions of trees, the one tree, he said, don't touch. And the enemy, you will not certainly die. The serpent said to the woman, that's how I always see it, because he's just salty. I just imagine, I always imagine the devil kind of like Jafar from Aladdin. I I don't know. He just, just the way that he talked and he was just all erratic. And so I just imagined him that way. And he he had the snake, didn't he? See? Mm. Mm. All right. Questions that need answers. All right. So he said, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. I hate reading this next part. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, she started looking at it like, hmm, this looks popping. Never even noticed and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some and ate it. Bruh! All he did was tell a lie. That's it. He didn't grab Eve and take the fruit and be like, ah, and make her sin. He told her a lie and presented a choice. And God was there in the garden. That's what I think I realized when reading this over the past few days. God was there. Like Eve could have just gone to God. 
she could have been like, God, first of all, what's up with the snake? This is weird. But I appreciate everything else you did here, everything else you got going on, all these animals. I like the poodles and all that stuff. Those are dope. I like the fruit. I like the tangerines. I like those a little better than the oranges. <laughs> but this snake is over here saying that you don't want us to eat this tree because you don't want us to be like you. And you don't have, it's like you don't have the best intentions for us. And God could have been like, that's the devil, all right? He can't do anything for you. He has no power. All he does is lie. But I appreciate the fact that you came to me. And you value our relationship. And you acknowledge that I'm the one who put you here. I'm the one who created you. I'm the one who provided all this stuff for you. And if I didn't have the best intentions for you, that would be clear by now. But I wouldn't have done all this if I didn't have the best intentions for you. Remember, I don't need these bananas. You like these. I created smoothies for you. You can make milk from these almonds. <laughs> But she really could have just gone to God, and it could have been like over, like, oh, yeah, that is crazy. This is amazing. I, I almost didn't realize how amazing what you've given me is. And so what she did, she almost had it. When he spoke the lie, she said, no, this is what God really said. But then he came back with another lie. And at that point, she didn't say, no, I know God. No, this is really what God said. What she started doing was, hmm, that tree does look good. The one tree that I can't have, it must be because God doesn't have the best intentions for me. That one man. <laughs> that you can't have. Of the 5.7396 billion men on the planet. The one you can't have. The one. The one. You can't have. And you're over here like, God don't love me. <laughs> the one girl. I got to. There's a lot of pretty girls. There's a lot of nice girls. But nice people. <laughs> nice people with good intentions disconnected from the love of God. Will only lead you to the wrong source. And if you, and if you continue down that path, if you keep looking at that fruit, 
like Eve did. If you keep dwelling on it and saying, man, that does look good, man, she do look good. She's desirable. Then Eve took some and ate it, and death happened. <laughs> Same thing that can happen in your life. Playing around. Thinking it's a game. Because God's word is there to sustain you. What he tells you to do is to sustain you. And no matter the cravings that you experience telling you otherwise, the true answer in the depths of your being is you are just thirsty. And Eve had everything that she needed. And then the devil just stepped in to be like, no, you don't. And that's what he does in your life. He'll tell you you don't have enough. That's... That is always his move, is, ah, life isn't as good as you think, because you don't have this. Oh, oh, God made this whole garden for you. Oh, yeah, that's cool. Um, but he said you can't eat that? Oh. <laughs> uh, yeah, man, if you could have that, if you could have that fruit, uh, I mean, well, I mean, I'm just saying, if you could have that fruit, life, oh, man, life would be amazing. You know, if you could marry that person, oh, life would be amazing. But I don't know. God is saying you can't. And he just knows. It's like he just knows that you just love that person, like, more than him. And he's, like, jealous. And he doesn't really want the best for you. And what God really wants is just for you to love him and not be happy with anything else in life, unfortunately. Sorry. These are the lies that we hear. God doesn't want a good purpose for your life. He wants his purpose. He doesn't want to make you happy. And that's what I experienced for a long time, which was crazy, was the idea that if I really lay my life down, if I really give my life to God, uh, I don't think I'm going to be happy. I think I'm just going to be, I'm going to be doing the right thing. I know that's the right thing to do, but maybe there's another way to combine these. <laughs> maybe I could have this fruit too. And Eve didn't even think twice about it. She's like, that does look good. Mm. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and eat some. Here, Adam. Adam's like, Okay. None of them went to God. Nobody asked God. So how do we respond when we're hearing lies? You must combat the lies with the truth. And that's what she did at first, but she didn't even realize what was happening. Like the devil was just... Bringing her, oh, did, did God say this? Oh, that's interesting. Here's a lie. I'm trying to ruin your life. And she didn't continue to combat with the truth. 
She didn't stick to what God said. If she did, we wouldn't be in the fallen world we're in today. There are repercussions, consequences. She experienced death and everyone born after her. Listening to the lies of the enemy, not combating it with the truth. So the solution to the first issue was reading the word. The solution to this is speaking the word. That's what Jesus did. Jesus came and modeled everything. When the devil came to Jesus, he was saying all types of stuff to him. And Jesus would just answer back with the word of God. When the Pharisees and all these people would come and question Jesus about things, Jesus would just say, isn't it written? Isn't it written? Did you not see in the Bible where it says this? Jesus read the Bible. Think about that for a second. Jesus read the Bible. He wrote it. And he read it. Jesus went to church. Scripture says that Jesus went to the synagogue as was his custom. That was his custom. That was his routine. He went regularly. But so many of us think that we can experience what we need from God doing it a different way. You can only get water from the source. It's the only place. But it's a good thing. It's good news because it's that simple. Jesus provides what you need. And regardless of the cravings you are experiencing in the deepest parts of your being where you truly need to be satisfied, you are just thirsty. You just need Jesus. You just need God. You need the word of God to even understand who God is because that's where he reveals himself. And you need the word of God to combat what the enemy is trying to bring you with. That's why Jesus compares his word to a sword. The word of God is the sword of the spirit. So in the spirit realm, your weapon is the word of God. If you don't know it, how can you survive? How can you fight back? How can you sustain the attacks if you don't have a weapon, but the weapon is readily available to you? Is there anybody who can't get access to a Bible? No, not in this room. None of you guys can't access the Bible. You have it readily available to you. And when you are hearing lies, you have to combat it with the truth. My third point in wrapping up tonight is Jesus is the only way to fully experiencing God's love. So you see God forming a man, God breathing into that man Humanity is created. You see, the woman who mothers all of humanity believes the lie of the enemy instead of trusting in God, falls into sin, and sin is just disobedience to God, 
which is punishable by death. Fair enough. God gives you all of this and everything that you need, and all you have to do is not do that. She goes and does it, and because God is a just God who will not compromise his justice, how many of you guys want a God who is just, a God who is fair, a God who will protect, a God who will defend? And the, the law of God, the word, is, the word of God, the boundaries that God puts on our lives are to protect us. It's from love. You see what happened to Eve after she ate the fruit. Everything got bad. God was trying to protect her from that, and he presented a choice. Still gave her free will. She chooses to sin, and then everyone, everyone born after that is born into sin because they came from her. I was thinking about this a few years ago, like why was sin passed down? And so I thought about the fact that the first thing that God did with the man and the woman, it says the Lord blessed them and told them to be fruitful and multiply. God blessed them, told them be fruitful and multiply. So that blessing would have passed down. That's how he designed it. It was designed for good. The blessing was supposed to pass down through the blood. But the fall brought on a curse, and the law that was intended for good then brought destruction to everybody afterwards. And so what does God do? God knows that sin was punishable by death, and a gruesome death at that. And when he needed, because he would not compromise his justice, just for love. He's a loving God, but he's also a just God, and we need him to be that. He would not compromise it, but he found a way to satisfy the justice that was necessary through an expression of love. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. The life that we were supposed to have and the price that was supposed to be paid for it, that needed to be paid for it, he paid. Jesus left heaven, came down, paid the price for us. Jesus came and modeled what it looked like to live a life defined by the love of God. He left heaven, came down to pay the price for us and to model what a life defined by the love of God looked like. It was a life where he trusted God so much that he submitted to crucifixion without any protest, without any argument on the promise that God would raise him up again. Imagine the trust necessary for Jesus to submit to being crucified and dying on a promise from God. That's somebody who understands that God is good. That's somebody who understands that God is loving. So much that he said, if I lay my life down, I know that my father who told me to do this, I know that his plan is good. 
I know that whatever he tells me to do, it's because it's good and it's going to bring good. So even if he tells me to leave heaven, come down to earth, live among a bunch of weird people for 33 years until they crucify me for no reason, even being innocent, I know that even if he asked me to do that, it's because something good is going to come from it. He trusted God so much that he was willing to lay his life down, knowing that God is a loving God, and he's calling us to do the same. I look at Matthew where Jesus is telling the disciples that he has to be crucified, that he has to pay the price for sins. And Peter took him aside in Matthew 16. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord. This shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. And that is what Eve should have done. Regardless of what God is asking me to pay, I know that it's good. So Satan, with your lies, you can step aside. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? So Jesus was communicating that the only thing worth living for is the love of God. He said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. And whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. That is a promise saying that whatever God asks you to do, it's going to be good. And Jesus modeled trusting God so much that he laid down his life, understanding that good would come from it, understanding that the request, that the command of God was coming from a place of love. So I ask you guys tonight, what good is it to gain the whole world if you do not have the love of God? The worship team, you guys can come out. It does you no good to try to satisfy your thirst for the eternal God with the temporary things of this world. God breathed your spirit into you and it thirsts desperately for his love. You need him. Jesus knew that. That's why Jesus left the comfort and glory of heaven to step into the temporary timeline of earth just to repair what Eve had broken, just to give you access to what you need. He knew that we were all down here running after all these cravings that will never satisfy what we need. And he came and he laid down his life to pay the price just for us to have access to the water of God. We take water for granted all the time. But we didn't even have access to it in the spiritual sense until Jesus came down and gave that to us.
Jesus paid the price just so you could have access to the love of your Father, the love of the God who created you, the love of the God who formed you from dirt and breathed purpose into you, breathed identity into you, breathed love into you. So I would encourage everybody in here, turn to God. Regardless of the circumstance, regardless of the situation, regardless of what's coming against you in life, the plan of God is good for your life. When you are walking with Jesus, he will bring you to hope and a purpose and to fulfillment. And there's nothing that you can chase outside of him that will satisfy the need in your soul. Maybe you didn't even know that you needed God when you walked in here. And maybe you've been wondering why you're walking around with an insatiable void, chasing it in all these different places. I'm here to tell you, Jesus has what you need available to you. It's not free, but it's paid for. It's not free, but it's paid for. And it's available to you. So I want everybody, you would stand to your feet. And I want everybody to have a conversation with God tonight. My prayer for you guys is that you will have a conversation with God about the thirst in your soul. That you will have a conversation with God about truly pursuing him, about truly laying your life down like Jesus said, knowing that it's a good plan. So do what you need to do. I know it's late. But if you got time, we're here to go in. Jesus is here, ready to speak. So if you need to step outside of your row, of your aisle, maybe you just need the words to wash over you, maybe you need to sing them and cry out to God, whatever it is that you need, he's here, ready to satisfy, ready to speak. So Father, I thank you for your presence. I thank you that you're a living God who will respond. You're a living God who will speak. You're a living God who will satisfy. And I pray for every heart in here, Lord, that you will fill them up. In Jesus' name.